Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Happy Easter. It's awesome. Hey, good to see you guys. I'm so excited for Easter Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that good news to hear? So cool. Well, hey, I'm excited to see all of you guys. And I, I love it on Easter. Everybody just, they gussy up a little bit more. Come on, I'm from Southern Oregon. So we use words like gussy up down there. We, we know how to cross the creek and tear out a root. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all from Spring Tucky out there, you know what I'm talking about too. Okay. So anyways, we're so excited to, to be here on Easter Sunday. So glad all of you are, are with us today. How many of you were at the Easter egg drop yesterday? Come on, that was cool. So for those of you that missed out, and I'm sorry because you did miss out, we dropped candy from the sky. We rented a helicopter. We got the, the bucket that they used to put out forest fires, and we filled it with candy, not once, my friends, but twice, and dropped Candy from the Sky at Marist High School. We had 817 kids, just kids. There was over 1,700 people total, but 817 kids getting candy dropped from the sky. It was a phenomenal time. So fun, so exciting. We just want to tell the community, hey, we, we love you and Jesus loves you and let's just have fun together and have a safe place, safe uh, spot to be. So that was a great time. But man, I'm excited to be here today on Easter Sunday, excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, excited to hang out with you, excited to meet new people. And uh, I'm excited to eat donuts, too. I haven't even had one because I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to quit. So the, the problem with this pastor thing is you sit in your office. People think pastors play golf all week. They don't. They, they sit and write sermons. And so we get a little round. And, uh, you know, it's what happens. So anyways, um, today's Easter Sunday. And as I said, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the most important event in human history. Now, you might say, man, that's a bit of a bold claim. It is a bold claim, but the reality is it's true. Because if this Christianity thing, if this thing about Jesus, this story about him rising from the dead is actually historical fact, then it is the single most important thing in history. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Those of you that come here regularly, you know I love to quote C.S. Lewis, right? So you know it's coming. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Jesus really did raise from the dead, if God raised him from the dead as a sign of who he was and verifying and validating the claims that he made to be the son of God, to be the savior, to be the Messiah, then it's, it's of infinite importance. Now that's all very grand and kind of highfalutin. It's another Southern Oregon word that we use there, but uh, that's all kind of grand. But what's it mean to you and to me? Well, here's the thing. What's so important about the resurrection is not that just that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's that by putting your trust and faith in him, the claim of Christianity is that you can be experience the power of resurrection. Come on, that death does not get the final say. That as a follower of Jesus, you get to experience resurrection life. This is an awesome thing. The scriptures say that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. That's an amazing message. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so we're going to talk about this today in church, and then we're going to go Beat all the other churches to the best restaurants. Come on, can I get an amen in church? That's what Christians say in church. You gotta, that's why we have an hour service, because I love to eat so we can get to the restaurants uh, in time. Beat, other, beat everybody else. That's a Christian attitude, isn't it? Let's beat the other churches to the best restaurants. Come on. I still, got, I still have to grow. I still need some sanctification to take place in my life. We're going to talk about this today, this message of the gospel, and, and clarify it, look into it. The gospel, this, this word gospel, it means good news. Somebody say good news. Good. Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer good news to bad news. Anybody with me here? I like getting good news. Come on. 
When I said, Bethany, will you marry me? And she said, yes, instead of no. And she asked me one time, you know, did you think that when you asked me that there was a chance that I would say no? I was like, no, actually, right? I think most guys, if we're on one knee, we expect to hear yes. Am I right, guys? It's God wired us that way, right? It's just we, we sort of expect she's going to say yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it because you'd be too scared. I like good news. And the gospel is good news. That's what that word means. But see, most people, including people that are already Christians. Now, maybe you're here today and you, you came in and you're like, I'm going to see a movie on Easter and I ended up in a weird church in a movie theater. I'm sorry, but it's going to be great. I promise. Most people, even Christians, they think that they understand the gospel. They think they understand the core of Christianity. They think they kind of got it, but they don't got it. They don't, that's not grammatically correct, but we'll work with it. You don't have a grasp on it. I think for most people, they think they understand, even me, but yet I continually have to have my eyes opened and recalibrated to really understand the truth and the depth of the gospel. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want to miss out on the truth of the gospel. I don't want to miss out on the power of resurrection life. And so what better time than Easter to take another look? Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had something in life, and it could be anything, food, music, anything, where you thought, okay, this is what I like, this is, this is the thing that I'm, that I'm about, uh, and I have this whole thing figured out, and then something sort of came on your radar, and it changed everything for you. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? So for me, I remember I was working out, and this is going to date me a bit. I was working out in a 24-hour fitness. Yes, I'm old, and yes, I have worked out in my life once or twice. Not on purpose, but it happens, right? They're, they like trick you when you go into those kind of places. They're like, hey, you can have 37 years of gym membership for $19 plus $19,000. And you're like, what? Okay, I'll sign that in line. And then you have to give them your firstborn child to get out of the contract. It's them and Comcast, right? The, so I was at a 24-hour fitness, and I thought I had music figured out. I mean, I was a Christian kid. I grew up in church. I'm a PK, so I was all about DC talk. D -d -d down with the DC talk. Mm. Mm, feel it in your bones. Oh, groove. Yeah. These hips don't lie. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So I, Newsboys, uh, Audio Adrenaline. That's the holy trinity of Christian rock music in the 90s, right? Okay. So I thought I had this whole music thing figured out. I know what I like. I know who I like. And all of a sudden, I'm in 24-hour fitness, and this song comes on. Hit it, Karen. Okay, stop. How many of you know who that is? Say it. Coldplay, come on. Do you love Coldplay? Yeah. I've seen Coldplay twice in concert and I literally screamed like a 13-year-old girl at a Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> Bethany can verify this. Chris Martin comes by. He's got blue eyes, I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> and I saw the blue in those eyes, right? When he plays the piano, he's singing to me, you know? Coldplay comes running through. We're in Roseville, California. We saw him at this amphitheater and it was amazing. And I'm like, ah! Just screaming like a 13-year-old girl. I love Coldplay. Come on, hit it. I heard that in the gym. Play it, Karen. All right, it's all right. She's going to hit it, yeah. Mm. Okay, stop. So there I am. Now, you might be like, this is ugly music. No, it's not. This is good music. It was all yellow, right? And all of a sudden, this new sound that I hadn't heard before, it hit me. And there I was, lifting 110 pounds. No, okay. <laughs> it's probably like 400, I think, I was benching at the time. And I was there, and I hear this music, and it blew my mind. And then it changed everything for me. I, all of a sudden, this different style, a new sound, it opened my eyes. I was missing out. I thought I had it cornered. I thought I had it figured out. There was something new. 
with food, I thought I, my whole life, I thought I'm a, I'm a burger and fries guy, okay? So put meat and potatoes on the plate. Like I want, I want papas fritos. Is that how you say it? Papas fritos. I want French fries. I want a burger. I thought I had myself figured out. I thought I knew this is what I like with food. And then <clears throat> getting married to Bethany, she helped me to open up my, my palate and explore new things. And I remember when I had delicious pad thai for the first time. How many of you love Thai food? Come on, we're going to talk about food today. Praise the Lord. I love pad thai. I had pad thai. It blew my mind. There's peanuts in it. It's so good. It's delicious. And then I had Tom Ka uh, soup. The Holy Spirit just blew into the room right now when I said Tom Ka with the coconut milk and the, all the stuff. Come on, you, you like Thai food, right? It's so good. You know, the thing with Thai restaurants, though, it's actually unfortunate. The food is so good that Thai people, they mess with the rest of us. Seriously, you'll go to your favorite Thai restaurant, you'll show up, you're like, oh, I'm desperate for food. And they're like, gone in Thailand for a month. What? It's true. It happens to me all the time. Because their food is so good, they know they can just keep you on the string. They know they've got you right there. But Thai food, it changed everything for me. And then, really, the biggest one of all is that when I knew Bethany, you know, we, we, we knew each other before we got married, before we, we started dating. Uh, we did that in that order, actually. We, we, we dated and then got married. We didn't do it the opposite way. But I didn't like her. She didn't really like me. We didn't hit it off right away. But there was a moment. You know what I'm talking about here? There was a moment where my eyes were open. All of a sudden... Hey, baby. All right, that's good. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay. My eyes were open. I got to hear it one more time. Come on, one more time. Everybody with me now. All right, that's good. Thank you. Well, the Holy Spirit left the room. Okay, he came in with the Thai food. Why do saxophone players use their knee so provocatively like that? I don't understand. <laughs> the light came on. The light came on. Now, I thought I had it all figured out, but I didn't have it figured out. And I'm so glad that my eyes were open to the reality of my beautiful, amazing wife, that I saw her and I was like, I'm, I'm going to pursue this woman. I'm going to chase after her. She's worth everything I'm going to chase after. Now, most people think that they understand the gospel. They think they've got a corner on the market. They get it. Oh, I've been to church before. I understand Jesus. I get it. Easter, yeah, we do this thing. We come to church on Easter. We show up and put on nice clothes. We say words like Gussie and we eat ham afterwards. Like, I understand what it's about. But, but you might not. And I want, to, I want to say something to you today. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on something amazing because you're, you're looking past it. See, a lot of people think that they understand the gospel and they think it's one of these three things. These are just a couple things. They might think it's a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Well, I understand Christianity. It's just all the rules. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, don't go to bad movies, don't do this, don't do that. It's do's and don'ts. Come on. That's what being a Christian is about. It's about these do's and don'ts. Or maybe they think that being a Christian or the gospel is about how to get to heaven when you die. Okay, I have to pray this prayer, and then when I die, no matter what my life has looked like, when I show up at the pearly gates, I'll say, St. Peter, I know the password. I prayed that prayer. I said, Jesus, will you come live in my heart? Jesus, live in my heart. Come live in here, little Jesus, in my heart. And we pray this prayer, and we think that's what the gospel is. Come on. We think, I've got it. I understand. I've got my get into heaven uh, free card, get out of hell free card. I, I've, I, get, I get it. I understand it. But we're missing so much of what it means to follow Jesus. The gospel is not 
this message about just how to get to heaven when you die. People might think that the gospel is to be a good person. If I'm a good person, then God will love me. God will accept me. So we kind of have this earning and effort understanding of the gospel. And, and a lot of people will kind of think about it like this. Well, I've got my good deeds over here and I'll put them on the scale. And as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, as long as I give money to a poor person when I say a cuss word, then as long as I outweigh the bad, then I'm in with God. And it's this effort and earning perspective, but that's not the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is something so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more incredible that actually it's so simple and so revolutionary that the most of the time we sort of blow right by it because we can't even fathom that the gospel could be true, that the goodness of God could be so su supreme that we move right past it. But it says in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse at least once in their life, for God so loved, come on, say loved. But I like this because it doesn't just say God loves the world. It says, for God so loved. Come on, to so love somebody is like he really loves. He really loves the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is resurrection life. It's the, that, that life that's about eternity. The life that breaks the power of death and breaks the power of sin. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, perhaps you're sitting here today and you see church as a place where you get judged, where you're judged for how you look and you're judged for your past and you're judged about your present and you're judged for your tats and you're judged for your sigs and you're judged for everything. And you don't want to be at church because you just really, you think, man, all these perfect people are going to look at me and they're going to, you know, they're going to judge me. And we think about the gospel, we think about Christianity that way, but the reality is that it says God didn't send Jesus to the world for condemnation, it says, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're used to seeing these sort of surfer boy pictures of Jesus on a cross, you know, with long brown hair. But the reality is, probably to get a better idea, he's, he's a little Middle Eastern guy, and he should be wearing a red cape like Superman because he came to save the world. Come on, he, he didn't come to bring condemnation and judgment. He didn't come to to, to tell you how bad you are. Yeah, you, you, you are bad. I'm bad. We got problems. Come on, anybody real here today? But God sent Jesus to save the world. This is the gospel. And it has so very little to do with you or your performance or how many or few cuss words you say or how many, how many good deeds you've piled up over here and bad ones you piled here. It's not about that. It's about what God did for you and for me. That's the gospel. Come on. I want to tell you a story this morning that, that wrecks my, my world. It, it just blows my mind to think about Jesus in this way. It's in John chapter 8, verse 1. It's a story that I believe exemplifies the gospel message, the heart of the gospel. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Now, this is the center of Jewish, Jewish religious life, the temple. This is like the church of the day, right? It's the most holy place. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these are the religious elite, the, you know, the, supposed to be the people of God. You have to say it like that because it you know, makes people feel worse about themselves for some reason. But that's what these people are, the Pharisees. And they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now, I know we're in Eugene, but we're not talking about smoking something here. We're talking about rocks. Not stone her like give her something to smoke and she'll feel better. No, we're talking about they were like literally going to take stones and throw them at her until she died. That's the, the, the situation that's happening here. And so they said, this is what the law of Moses says. What do you say? And it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. There's different theories about this, but he, he's writing in the dust. They kept demanding an answer. Tell us, tell us, Jesus, what do we need to do? Because they want to trap him. It says he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, most people think of Jesus more like the Pharisees and the religious leaders carrying a stone to smash them for all the bad things they've done. But Jesus is the one that's left alone there with you when everybody else is gone to pick you up and to say, I don't condemn you. That's the real Jesus. I want to give you some thoughts about the gospel, and we're going to continue to talk about the story. But the first thought I want to give you about the gospel is that God's grace finds us in our disgrace. You see, we think a lot of times I got to get cleaned up. I have to get gussied up and get looking good and, and clean up my language and delete my browser history and, and, and figure out, you know, clean up my Netflix history. And, and then I can go to church and I can kind of pretend to be one of the clean people. And here's the reality. And we think God is going to accept us because we've, we've tried to look better. But the reality is that Jesus was the one with her in the, in, the, in the place of disgrace. That's where God's grace finds us. I want you to think about this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. Now, we don't need to go into graphic detail here, but I think you understand what that means. They literally pulled her out of this moment. Now, where's the guy, right? Obviously, this is kind of a screwed up mess anyways, because where's the guy? It takes two to tango, as far as I know. I'm not a scientist, but yeah, that's what I think it does. Where's he? But they pull her out of this moment. She's probably in a state of undress. Do you think she's ashamed? being dragged through the streets, being brought to the temple, being brought, how would you like to be in the middle of the deepest, darkest moment of your sin and disgrace and some people grab you and pull you out and drop you right here and say, everybody look at this person. Is she ashamed? Absolutely. Is she embarrassed? You bet she is. Is she afraid? Here's these men with stones in their hands and they're looking at her. Jesus, should we condemn her? Should we, should we stone her? Absolutely. So this is what sin does to us. See, this woman, do you think she wanted to be in this moment? No, she's looking for something in the arms of this man that has brought her into this relationship. And they've probably used her. He's probably not even, doesn't love her. We don't know, but she's looking for hope. She's looking for love. She's looking for acceptance. Her heart cries out for the same things that your heart cries out for. Isn't that how sin works? It says, look, I'm going to fulfill you. I'm going I'm to give you something. If you will take up this, this pill, if you'll, if you'll take this drink, if you'll take this relationship, then I'll, I'll make you feel better. I'll take away your pain. Sin says, 
I'm going to fulfill you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you with life, but it leaves you broken and empty and there ashamed on the, on the ground. And I want you to think about what we're celebrating today, that Jesus Christ, the one that didn't deserve anything other than the best treatment, he was hung naked on a cross. He was hung naked, he was beaten bloody, and he died for your sins and for, uh, and for mine. You see, sin will leave you broken. Sin will leave you ashamed. Sin will leave you afraid. It promises to fill you. It promises to fix you, but it's not. But Jesus was broken so that you could be healed and fulfilled. Two statements stick out here to me from this beautiful story. The first one is that Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And the second one is he says, go and sin no more. Now here's where we misunderstand the gospel, but listen to Jesus preach the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, don't sin and I won't condemn you. See, we, we get this wrong. We think, oh, if I don't sin, then I won't be condemned. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't condemn you, therefore sin no more. Now think about the power of this. See, when we say, oh, if I don't sin, then I won't be condemned, we've taken the gospel to ourselves and said, I'm my own savior. The way that Jesus has it is this, my forgiveness is what gives you the capacity to live the way that I've called you to live. How many of you are grateful for that? That Jesus does not condemn. And out of that forgiveness, out of that mercy is what comes our ability to walk with him and to grow and to move forward. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus comes and finds you in the place of your disgrace, afraid, embarrassed, lonely, broken. You've given your life to sin. Maybe some of you are even here today. And as I speak, your heart is being touched because you, you know, man, I, I'm in the midst of something. Maybe you didn't get dragged out in front of people, but you know right now there's condemnation because even in your own head, you know that there's a voice saying you're bad, you're disgusting, you're dirty, you're never going to find love, you're never going to be fulfilled. Those voices are there. Maybe they're not Pharisees, but they're demonic spirits or the enemy or whatever, or people in your life or someone, maybe even your own perception of religion, whatever it is, but it's judging you, it's condemning you. And I pray to God that today you would hear the voice of Jesus who says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. God's grace finds us in our disgrace. Number two, salvation, it comes by grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Somebody say gift. Yes. So a lot of times we think that with salvation or with the gospel, trying to understand this and in our perspective, we think that, again, it's something that we earn. We think that it's accomplished by our own effort. Oh, I can be right with God if I will do X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3, Right? If I'll clean up my life, if I will give money to the poor, if I will go to church every Sunday, then I'll be right with God. I'll have earned it. That's not how salvation comes. Salvation is a gift of grace. And I'll talk about grace in a second. And it comes through faith. It's something that you reach out and you accept, not something that you reach out and grasp like you did something. Okay? Let's talk about grace for a second. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You ever heard the phrase, better to be lucky than good? This is my life story. My dad always says, Jake, you could fall in a pile of poop and come out smelling like a rose. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I don't know what it is, dad. You know, I'm just lucky, I guess. You know, no, I got a great wife. That's what it is. My entire success behind every great man is a surprised woman, right? It's 
Surprise mother-in-law. I know the joke. I just changed it. She's correcting my joke. See, you're right, babe. You're right. And I'm sorry. I was teaching someone that today. That's what you got. If you know those words as a husband, you can make it in life. Yes, dear. Come on, guys. Come on. Yes, dear. All right. Unmerited favor of God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God gave it to you because he loves the snot out of you. That's not biblical, but it's, it is. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Let me tell you something. I pray this will stick with you today. You aren't deserving. You are desired. You are not deserving. You are desired. Your place with God, your standing with God has nothing to do with anything good and or bad that you've done. We think, oh, God, I'm really on God's bad side because I, I'm a really bad person. No, God only has one side towards you. It's a good side. Now you say, what about the wrath of God? What about sin? Is he going to judge sin? Absolutely, there's justice. But listen, God's love never changes for you. God's love never changes. He always loves you, even in the midst of your sin. And he's always right there waiting to rescue you and pull you right out. You're not deserving, but you are desired. God loves you desperately. Desperately. It's amazing to me. You know, when, when I, uh, Bethany and I began to have children, I say it like I had so much to do with it. Really, it, her part was quite a bit more involved. But... With my children, I remember when Evelyn, our, our daughter, our very first child, when she was in the womb, and, and I remember in our house in Medford, I, I, can, I can see our bedroom, and I remember there's Bethany in her, her beautiful pregnant uh, belly, and I remember putting my hand on her, her tummy and, and speaking to Evie. We knew that Evie was a girl, and Evelyn, it's your daddy. Evie, I'm here. I love you, Evie. I wanted her to, to know my voice. So I read something that said that little babies know their dad's voice when they come out. They can recognize if you speak to them and they can hear. I put my hand and I'd feel her little kicks and my heart would literally melt. Come on, does any parent in the room know what I'm talking about? And Evelyn had literally done absolutely nothing good and or bad. We've never even seen her face. We just saw a weird looking ultrasound, made her look like alien or something, you know, something in the, you know, she's in there. That's all we'd ever seen. We'd never seen her face. She's never, we never heard her voice. We never heard her cry. We've never, never seen her at all. And yet I loved her. I would have died for her even in the womb. And I'm just a stinking sinful human father. And think about God, the perfect father, whom every good and perfect thing comes from and his love for you and for I. If you can love your kid like that, if I can love my kid with a little bit of that, all I've got is just a fraction of the love that God has. Evie hadn't done anything. Before I'd even seen my kid's face, before, before they'd ever done anything, I desperately loved them. God's love is so great for us. It's grace. And how do we receive that grace? We receive it through faith. What's faith? Faith is a complete trust in the work of Jesus at the cross. It means walking away from your own goodness, from your own performance, and understanding that you can't save yourself. Now listen, this is a hard one to grasp. It's easy to say, it's easy to understand, but it's hard to get it from here to here. See, we think faith is about how hard we believe. It's not. Faith is simply emptying yourself of any trust you have in your own performance and saying, all of my trust is on Jesus. If Jesus lived, if he uh, died on the cross for my sins, and if God raised him from the dead, if that is a true story, then I have to put all my trust on him and him alone and on nothing else. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what faith is. See, Jesus can only save people who need a savior. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, this is all good, but I'm actually, I'm gonna work it out on my own. Well, Jesus can't do anything for you. 
there's one place at the foot of the cross and we all have to come there and get on our knees and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, if you're black or white, who you are, where you come from, how bad, how good. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad of a person. I don't give a rat's hind end about any of that stuff because at the end of the day, all of us have to come to Jesus and say, I either choose to lay down all trust in my own goodness, all trust in everything, and all the guilt and condemnation and shame of my, of my sin, and trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. And Jesus can only set, save sinners. It says in Luke chapter 5, 32, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. <clears throat> Pastor Timothy Keller says this. I'm going to paraphrase his quote, but he says, the only people who will end up eternally separated from God are those who try to be their own savior. You want to hear some good news today? If you're willing to humble yourself before God and just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of grace. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. His grace will rush into your life. We are saved by grace, the unmerited favor of God, not deserving, desired, and it comes through faith when we place our trust in Jesus. All right, number three, last thought on the gospel, and then we're going to Finish up today and go get something delicious to eat. Amen. Number three, God's grace and love are scandalous. There's a song that we used to sing in church. I think we sang it at Easter two years ago at Joy Church. It was the, the I forget the name of the song, but it was called, I think it was called Scandalous Grace. And we'd sing that. And that word is a little bit scandalous. You hear it and you're like, ooh, I mean, associating God with scandal is almost crazy. But The reality is that the love of God, we sing that song today, the reckless love of God. God's love is like this. God's love is so almost incomprehensible. It's almost wrong how much God loves you because God loves people that you would say they do not deserve to be loved. I say this quite a bit, but I'll say it again. God loves the people you hate, which is good news for you because some people hate you. God's grace and love are scandalous. They're overpowering, so incredible. In Luke chapter 15, verse one, it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Anybody a notorious sinner? Don't raise your hand. Okay. (laughs) Often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. (gasps) So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he is founded, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And listen to this. In the same way, Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Do you want to understand the gospel and have an eye-opening moment? Then understand that the God of Christianity, however you may have seen him in your past, however you may have had him represented to you by maybe well-meaning or not well-meaning Christians, is probably falling short of what Jesus just said in this monumental moment where he said, this is the kind of God that I want to tell you about. He would leave this church right here, all of us that know Jesus, and he would run out into the streets and he would grab somebody and say, I want you to come home. 
that we serve a God that would leave 99 to pursue relentlessly just one, that Jesus would have given his life for just one person, just one person. And you say, oh, I've got this God thing figured out. I understand this whole Christianity thing. It's about getting my life cleaned up and it's about this effort and earning and piling up good deeds. And it's literally not about that at all. It's about a God of love that literally put himself into human form, came down and walked in the muck for 33 years. And 2,000 years ago on Friday, he died on a cross and he was in that grave for a few days. But let me tell you on Sunday, the day that we're celebrating today, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't an Easter bunny and helicopters and all that. But let me tell you what did happen. The God of heaven and earth came down and raised Jesus from the dead. And now he tells you today that you can put your trust in him, put your faith in him, and he's going to raise you from the dead. All the death in your life, all the sin, all the shame, all the embarrassment, all the brokenness in your disgrace. This God loves you. He's pursued you. He would leave this church to come and get you just to bring you into his family. Come on, that's good news today. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the God that brought you here to this moment. Listen. You might be thinking, oh, I came here today because I got a flyer in the mail. You might be thinking, I came here today because I saw a TV commercial. I came because <clears throat> you guys dropped candy out of the sky. No, that was the, that was the mechanism that got you here. But let me tell you, the reason that you're here is because the God of heaven and earth that formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb, that has infused your life with purpose, he brought you here to this moment right here, not by accident, but so you could hear that he loves you desperately. And though you aren't deserving, you are absolutely desired. And that right now, the grace and the mercy of God will rush in like a tidal wave into your life the minute you put your hand up and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of grace. And I put my faith in you. Now listen, I don't care if you're, you've been a Christian for 25 years. If you don't believe in that gospel, you don't got it. Come on, you don't got it because your God isn't good enough. His grace isn't strong enough. You put more faith in the power of sin and condemnation than you have in the risen Savior. I'm preaching good right now, so say amen. amen. Come on. Today, Jesus is calling you. You are not here by accident. You are here on purpose. And today is your day of salvation. Today is a wonderful day. It's the best day to give your life to Jesus.